everyone. Welcome to episode 12 of Coffee with the Queen. I'm Nicole. And I'm Cindy. And today we have a very special guest, Susan Mills from Mills Coffee Roasting Company in Providence, Rhode Island. Mills Coffee is a fourth and now fifth generation family-owned and operated roaster and happens to be one of the oldest continuously family-owned roasters in the United States. Susan also happens to be my mother, so we'll try to keep this professional here today. So welcome, Mom. Hello, everybody. Welcome, Susan. It's great to have you. Same here. I guess to start, can you tell everyone listening a little bit about Mills and what really distinguishes it from other small and mid-sized coffee roasters? Well, I think there's probably a couple of things. We've always been family-owned and operated, and we're probably about the last of that breed, which makes the company itself operate differently in the sense that we're, we're much more personally attached to every outcome and every customer and every supplier and every grower. And, and we've had the longevity. We've been it for a very long time. The quality aspect is something we were culturally brought up with. It's never a question that we want to make the best possible coffee we possibly can. The, the quality is going to matter more than a few pennies or a dime or a nickel or, or whatever in between. And, and helping create sustainable situations with our growers and, and with our suppliers as well. I guess just to touch on the continuity of consistency and, and value that everyone puts in, I think it's also important to note that your employees have been around for a very long time. So it's not just that the company has been family-owned for a very long time. The average employee tenure is also very high. They're actually like family. They are family because we've, we've been together, in most cases, over 25 or 30 years. For Mike, it's over 30 years. Yeah, Mike's over 30. Uncle David and I have probably been in it over 40 Maybe, yeah, yeah. Been in over 40, I can guarantee that. Maybe over 50, and even potentially with me over 60. I remember doing things when I was four, four or five, so. Do you think having employees that have been around that long and, and really kind of, in, in many respects, have grown into adulthood with coffee also impacts the, the way that you guys approach coffee and the kind of commitment you had to producing quality coffee? Yeah, I think it actually does because I notice even when I hear some of the guys talk to other people about us and, and even to us. They have the same sort of dedication and attachment to making a really good product no matter what. They're very proud of it. And I think it also becomes part of their identity. So in that sense, it's it's a good thing all the way around. Of course, you have people around for a long time. You do get to know each other really well. And you can have little squabbles here and there, uh, <laughs> more like a sibling. But there, no one's afraid to voice their opinion, which... Ultimately, I think it's a good thing. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I think what you're saying, it's something that's missing a lot in business in our country today. There used to be a sense of family in business. Absolutely. And people yeah. used to stay with the companies even generationally. Like I worked there and then my son came and worked there. And people were happier at work. The company did better. And then the employees got paid better because it's, you know, a synergistic relationship. So Exactly. I think they were they were always considered in the equation right it, it, it they weren't just a financial piece of of the company trying to minimize they were this human piece that you wanted to grow with you and i think that uh, if there was a little more of that today i, I think we would see a much happier group of working when we did have covid hit we definitely considered laying some people off only because everybody else was talking about it. I, I don't think I, in my own mind I ever really thought I would do it. But what we decided to do was give 
people the option because we could do some projects and, and sort of improve things that we had never got around to in the normal course of business because you just get so busy. And nobody wanted to leave. No one wanted to be laid off. Everybody wanted to stay. And they all did different things. It was really kind of fun because it wasn't like a party because we weren't really that busy, but we were working on new things and, and making the plant better, making the office a little more efficient. We did a lot of things to, to uh, improve what we were doing, you know, even things about each individual customer. So I think it's kind of like a home away from home, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> so taking that one step further, I think one interesting question that many people have is, how does that impact you or influence you when you're choosing farms to work with, local farms to work with, or selecting new brokers, growers? Or does it? <laughs> well, this is exactly where I was going to go, Nicole. You just asked my question. Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, I think, first of all, what's the first thing that will excite me about working with someone will probably be my sampling of the coffee. I, I have to say that that is my first responsibility is to get incredible coffees. Once I get that, oh my God, I love this coffee, um, or this is awesome, then I start, you know, we start the process. Within a relatively short time, I usually can, can feel who I would like to do business with because you just feel, that's sort of an intangible, but you just listen to what they say and how they feel about their farm, their product, about life in general, about sustainability, about children, about generational businesses, and about the world. And that all has something to do with it. So anyway. on a gossip piece, have you ever rejected a copy just because you didn't like a person? or the way that they were treating people? Well, you're my daughter. You should probably know the answer to that. I know. I don't know. That's what I'm asking. <laughs> well, <laughs> I, you know, one of the things that I worked on with Mills and just in thinking of who are we is connecting great coffee with good people. And that actually means a lot to me. I think that there's great coffee in many places. I think I find the best of the great coffees but attached to those coffees and behind those coffees, I think, are people of incredible character and dedication to a lot of things that I value. And that would be, in general, creating sustainable situations for people involved with the product, not damaging the environment, providing the natural environment for the animals that live on coffee farms. It's just a happy story. It gets me excited just talking about it. I start to think I got to make a trip back once once it's a little safer. Well, what I was going to say is that we've had limited interviews thus far with different suppliers, but the one common thread is a sense of community, a sense of caring about the environment, caring about the people that are helping to bring the coffee to the roaster. And it shines through and it just follows through with what you're saying about business being more than just business. It's family, community, people, life, etc. Yeah. Yeah. Just to bring to the next topic, I think that's a great point, Cindy, and I think one of the key things here is people often think coffee is really glamorous and fun and you're in beautiful mountains with birds. Don't realize it's a lot of hard work. I mean, you know, whether you're growing the plants or you're, you're roasting, there's a lot of heavy lifting, a lot of dirt, there's a lot of heat. Like, there's, it's hard work. Actually, Bob, could you tell us a little bit about the roasting process, kind of taking a green beans and bring them through that process to the point where they're bagged and someone is actually purchasing your coffee or drinking a cup of coffee. Because I think many people don't really know much about the roasting process and what, what's involved in roasting. Yeah. Kind of finding the perfect roast for a coffee. Yeah. I, I think, first of all, I'd say that our job is probably infinitely easier than the growers. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> first of all, we have to decide on the coffees that we want. 
with the development of relationships over years, we pretty much have a really good idea of most of what we want in. But even so, we'll sample pre-shipment just to be sure that that's what we want. And then it arrives in containers of, say, 250 to 325 bags. Most of our coffee is going to go to the port in, in New York or actually New Jersey now, I guess, before it comes here because we can't store all of the coffees that we buy in our plant. So we'll have coffee that we actually store in New Jersey and then however long it takes, but every couple of weeks we'll, we'll release coffees and get them in. And then we, we sample roast again, and that's pretty much what we do with getting them in from the outside. I know that you spend a lot of time coming up with the right roast for an actual <laughs> coffee because yeah. I think people think, oh, I'm going to just roast it to a medium roast. Oh, I'm just going to wait for that second crack that it's going to be No, no. But it's much like you do it that, down to the second or to like the, the hundredth of a second on the timer. Yep. And then sometimes we modify it a little bit as we even get into the particular lot. Some coffees are, are very likely to mellow quickly. Sometimes you make an adjustment in the roast with that that will keep the consistency of taste because I think consistency of taste, when, when someone falls in love with a particular taste, you want to try to make sure that that's there in the cup every time they try it, if they make it properly. It, but before you get the beans, right, they've been sorted and quality assured for size and such so yeah. that the lots are pretty consistent. So now we take it even one step further to make sure that it's consistent when it's roasted. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. So even though you're a small and medium roaster, or or definitely not a large roaster, you still use a lot of technology when it comes to roasting. So you have someone watching the beans and roasting it. There's a charter that we have, which is charting the interior temperature of the bean. We roast to a specific temperature rather than a color. But initially, you know, there's a color, there's there's a lot of visual going on. They know what they're looking for. But once they hit that, it's the temperature of the bean that they mark, and that will be what we're roasting to. So that's very, very specific. Yes, yeah, so as I how, like, how refined is that? Because it's not just, like, one. You no. Make up a number. <laughs> the, even the, uh, the density of the air and, and uh, the yeah. amount water in the air is going to have an impact on it on any given day. We know the range we're going to hit, but it has to be dialed in every single day as you start. Additional type of coffee, that'll have to be charted again. So you have a number of sensors and a number of settings that says, for this bean, this is the optimal point. This is what we want to roast it to. That's just inside the roaster. So that's all in one spot. And usually it's Mike that or whoever is roasting that's going to be making sure he hits that. I have a question for you. When you're doing test roasts, how big is the batch as compared to when you're doing the final roast? Well, a test roast, first of all, we do it mostly on our sample roasts. We, we like to do it on small, on, on really small. That's like about two pounds, that small roaster? Well, we have two different barrel roasters, so we usually do two different roasts on either side when we're doing this, so we kind of have an idea where we're going to go first off. And then occasionally, if it's a blend or if it's something that, you know, we're, we're a little a little hesitant of, we may do a 250-pound roast. That's kind of like the smallest batch that we'll actually do in the roaster. And, and we do that fairly often, especially sometimes with the coffee. It may be relatively new and we're just trying it out. So just to clarify for people, so when you say the roaster, you mean the big roaster that everyone had that image of in their head that has the where the beans are being turned. The cooler. Yeah. yeah. And then yeah. the barrel roaster that you mentioned is a very small roaster. Actually look like an axe almost exactly. Oh, yeah, exactly. It's, it's, just, it's not, it doesn't have any charting in there. It's only the eye that yeah. 
is going to be the governing factor there, but it, it, it's just a big cylinder with a gas flame underneath that turns, and you hear the snap, crackle, and pop. And Very old-fashioned. But that one only, so the barrel roaster that you use only really holds about two pounds, right, per side? Uh, it, it's about that. It's tiny, yeah. Okay. So there's a big difference in making that jump from going from the test roast to the first you know, like the barrel roast, test roast. But occasionally we've even done some special coffees in there, like the in Jamaican Blue Mountain that want, some people want a dark shade of it. We do occasionally do some really special stuff for people in there, too. So that's a really um, a really great thing about mills, because you have the capability to do a larger bunch or a smaller bunch. So you can both work as a small roaster or a mid-sized roaster. And we have the, the collective experience with our guys that they know exactly how to do it. Because it's their life, and they, they you know, they're kind of like doctors of the coffee, of roasting the coffee bean. <laughs> they're going to tell you all the pluses, minuses, and, and still manage to come up with something fabulous, despite the fact that it wouldn't be ideal by most people's standards. So, another thing, speaking of standards and ideals, I also wanted to ask you about how you really branched into decaf and flavors, which I think our decaf and flavors are fantastic. You use only the highest quality decaf. And our flavors use Arabica beans that are fresh, which is kind of rare in the flavored coffee world. But I think many people have this real purist idea that if you're a good coffee roaster, you're only going to roast regular coffee and nothing else. You've shown that you can be a top-tier roaster and roast decaf and flavor. So how did you get into that? What motivates you to keep adding new ones? Well, I think a lot nation might have even come about probably around the time I was pregnant with you or, or David, because the idea was really almost foreign to me. At, at that time, we probably had two or three, four coffees total that we had in. We had a few different blends. We always had Colombian. We had a nice Salvador, Brazil, maybe a Costa Rican, you know, but we didn't do so This the, is the 1970s that you're talking about. So people this know. is the late 70s and then early, early 80s. 80s okay. so, I would say really early 80s. So I probably already had you. It had to be David. Thanks, why I'm short. It, it was. They, we were, <laughs> <laughs> but they had the decaffeinated beans available to roasters because before that, as a coffee roaster, and we sold mostly restaurants and institutional sort of things, we didn't do all that much with individuals, although individuals always came in and bought coffee from us. The only option we had was Sanka packets. That, that's really. <laughs> wait, wait, say that word again. Sanka packets. Oh, Sanka. Okay, I'm Sanka. sorry. I thought what? you said psycho, and I was like, is it my coffee? Psycho oh. packets? That's what people think I'm like. I have a coffee you've got there, Cindy. It's making me a little jittery just looking at it. But I told you I only have one cup a day. <laughs> <laughs> when I ordered the mugs, they said nobody drinks at 30 ounce, and I said, I know somebody who drinks at 30 ounce. <laughs> but okay. really good coffee, that 30 ounce mug, isn't such a bad thing, because as it cools, you probably get an even more specific and better taste because the coffee gets better it's double insulated but i drink it so fast that you know (laughs) anyway that was a non sequitur so the option of of roasting coffee in decaf it was just very exciting to me this was before we had a sample roaster of any kind so when i brought the first five bags of decaffeinated coffee and which looked very different from (laughs) Regular beans because they're darker in general. They don't get larger, right? No, they're not larger yet. They could be when they roast, but they just look 
weird because they're dark color. And I remember my brother was roasting at the time, and I remember him coming running into our little office like, what are we going to do with these? <laughs> what, what are we going to do with these? There was such negativity attached that I think we kept the bags, kept the coffee in the bags for a while until we did more research on how we would roast these crazy things. As it turned out, you know, eventually we got it down. It wasn't welcomed with open arms into Mills Coffee. And I'm going to tell you that the flavored coffee came in about the same way. It didn't, it didn't come in with open arms. Both of really excelled. They both became very important parts of what we do because, you know, there are reasons for lots of things, but there are some people that really feel medically they want to drink decaffeinated. It's just something that they should do. And um, so we found some great ones, and there are some great ones out there in watching how, how it's processed with the type of bean that it, it all became, it was all a learning curve. The first stuff that we got in was a blend that they did, and it tasted like tin. It absolutely tasted like tin. So it, it really wasn't good. I think the discovery of the Colombian decaf for me, and then the Colombian CO2 decaf, right. water decaf, it just started to get better and better. And then, you know, you realize you could roast some of these darker and that that became interesting too. And actually, that's something very exciting. I have a new decaf coming in that's from Brazil that is out of this world. It's probably one of the best green samples of decaf that I've had in 15 years. It, it, it's amazing. It, it was earmarked for the West Coast. Very little of it comes in the country. It turned out that the roaster couldn't take it, so I actually talked with one of my brokers about it. And when I sampled it, I was knocked over. When do you think it will be in? It's in warehouse now. And the next shipment I get out of New York, I will definitely be bringing it in. And it's fabulous. This is a medium roast? I think we will be doing it a medium roast. We may use it for some dark roast, too, like our French decaf. It's almost drips with honey. It's a really, really nice-tasting coffee. I think most of our, our decafs, which you girls aren't really, you know, decaffeinated drinkers, but in general, they're not apparent. It's not apparent to No, I no. drink the You could be drinking it, and then you go, I drink a whole bag of French decaf <laughs> once and wondered why I was still tired in the morning. Yeah. It was, I think, on the, like when I finally went to go switch bags, I realized that I'd been drinking decaf because it just wasn't working. And I, I was, and thought maybe I was sick. I'm like, what's wrong with me? Like, you, well, I'm, I'm tired of The time. Mexican. I used the whole bag of the Mexican. That and Mexican it's so fabulous. good. It's fabulous. I can't wait to try this one. This one is just, I, I mean, it's, it isn't especially big bean. I, I don't know if that has something to do with it, but instead of a, it's a Cerrado region of Brazil. It's out of this world. I think it's a honey process. It's really, it's up to date. It's the, it's the most exciting decaf that I think I've, I've ever had. So Something I'm to look forward to. Yeah, no, it's, we, we have a lot of decaf drinkers. I want to go back to something Nicole touched on a few minutes ago, and that's the fact that the flavors are made with Arabica, mm-hmm. which is Absolutely. unusual because a lot of people take their Robusta or their Rejects. And that's what they use in flavored coffee. And this is probably some of the reason why our flavors are so delicious and so desirable. We don't have a Robusta bean that's in right. place. And there hasn't been one, I mean, honestly, maybe since the 80s. There was a time where there was a little bit of Robusta in Mills Blend, but that was probably before I was really around to any degree. It was sort of like for the institutional coffee where every coffee on the street had to be really good. And I think the first thing I did was 
and my brother and I collectively made that decision is get it out of here. We don't even want 5%. We don't want anything. It's just garbage. Preach. No, because no matter how you looked at it, the only thing about it that was good was the price. There's nothing else good about it. So we don't have any Robusta. There are many categories of Arabica also, and there's no substandard that's used for flavored coffees. It's it's the same coffees that's in our regular blend because that's that's what we have. That that's what we have. Well, I mean, it's, I mean, you test it and you drink it. Like, you know, I know that you have some people in your office that drink flavored coffee. Yeah, so like <laughs> I can think of too. Iced coffee, coffee. Over seems so. to be you know having that. That seems to be a spot. That, that seems to be growing, and it, it seems to be kind of fun where people are loving that. We just did a new a coffee that's actually good for, for iced and cold brew in a darker roast flavor. We actually a Campesina as the base for it. And the Utterly Sinful? The Utterly Sinful. Oh, yeah. Um, and that's kind of fun, and that has a very mild dose of flavor. So on the flavored coffees even, I've been cutting back a little bit on the flavor to make sure that it's a mixture of the coffee flavor and the flavor that's involved. Yeah, um, well, some of them, like the peppermint bark, I've noticed, you get more of the aroma than the actual flavor, but it's that trick that your olfactory senses play on you. You're yeah. smelling peppermint, and so you're kind of tasting peppermint, but if you block your nose and you taste the coffee, it still tastes like coffee. I have right. been experimenting um, with Maui Madness this month, right? The whole house smells like coconut, perpetually. <laughs> and this, this pie that I made yesterday, I toasted the coconut flakes after I drenched them in the Maui Madness. Uh-huh. And then I sprinkled them over the pie. Ooh. Oh my gosh, so delicious. That sounds really, yeah. That's... Hey, you should go check out the blog one. I'll send you the <laughs> link to it. That sounds really good. It looks really good. Uh, <laughs> I bet. But so, so speaking of cold brew and flavor, yes. in your estimation, what do you think the next new thing, I feel like there's always new coffee trends coming out, especially in the last maybe 10 years between cold brew and nitro and other coffee things that people are doing what do you think the next new coffee trend is i haven't really seen or felt anything that i think is that compelling for the next new thing i think that the blonde roast that people were really headed toward at one spot i don't see that as taking off in any big direction and i, I think it because it tastes like barley half the time that's <laughs> just a really light roast so yeah. you know a blonde roast is an incredibly yeah. it's so a the, very very light roast which can taste earthy <laughs> fairly recent one, which I didn't follow. I think everybody who knows me knows I'm not a huge fan of cold brew. So I think what I'm finally looking at is doing some sort of combination of, of being able to employ some heat to coffee and then go to a cold brew situation where we know we're going to get some high tones. So like a variation on the Japanese iced coffee brew method? Yep, exactly. And I think that would make me feel a lot better if people were to if they want to embrace cold brew, go to something like that where you're going to get a fabulous product. Because I think, like sometimes will happen with coffees in general, people can use a substandard coffee if they put a, a ton of sugar and cream with it. Right. Different drink. Now you, you have a coffee extract with other stuff. It's, it's really not like drinking coffee. And I'm not one that says you have to drink coffee black, but you have to taste it black. You really have to taste it black. And if you want to put a spot of cream or you want to put a little bit of sugar, depending on the coffee or the roast, you know, do it Do it so you enjoy it. But don't put 10 sugars in. And don't put a, three ounces of half and half. Or, or, well, it also <laughs> all the benefits you get from coffee. It has so many health benefits. Right. But if you put more in it, 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 it
loaded with antioxidants and it's got some great great uh, properties. Anyway, I could use a little bit more of it this morning, but <laughs> well, yes, no, I know it's getting time for you to get to work. And you guys don't know this who are listening, but we're recording this very early so everyone can get to work. To kind of wrap up. Is there anything exciting that you like to share with us about what's coming on or coming up at Mills? At the Brazilian decap is probably one of the most exciting. I was just talking to one of my favorite brokers, Ingrid, and there's a Women in Coffee project that has some really good Mexican coffees that one of the farms are processing groups that we buy some of our beds, like our ranchero and stuff from, is going to be working with them. We'll definitely be getting some interesting Mexicans in from that back. This reminds me of a question I wanted to ask you. What has it been like for you as a woman in this business? You know, it's funny. I never really thought of myself as being different from anybody, I guess. And so it was initially different because I was the only one. So it, there was a range of reaction to me, I think. Yeah, hence the queen bean. That's where we got our name from. <laughs> it is. To call I, me Her Majesty. Um, <laughs> I thought it was important to ask, we're three women in the coffee business sitting here talking. And I know you have a very unique take on it because you've been in the business when there weren't very many women in the business. I, I think I tried to always get the best out of it. There were enough gallant gentlemen around that would really work on help uh, on helping bring me up to speed because I did get into the purchasing of green coffee kind of very quickly when my dad died. So I didn't have as much background information as I would have liked, but I had, you know, one in particular that was really helpful, but many that actually helped me with, with my cupping and, and sourcing. And, and, and I mean, I knew what we did in our blends and what we looked for, but they also gave me a lot more background information about why we did that. So I, I think I, I actually got from the trade, coffee trade, it actually was a benefit to tell you the truth because this, Little woman, little little queenie. She, you, we have to help her. <laughs> I'm telling you, it works sometimes. I was telling her the other day, we're gonna try whiskey aged coffee, and yeah. they gave me a discount on the, the barrel after I spoke to them. I think it's pretty much because they heard my voice and they kept asking, like, "Are you gonna be able to lift this barrel off the coffee?" <laughs> and I'm pretty sure by the end of the conversation, they were convinced I would be able to lift the barrel. I actually unloaded a coffee trailer once. I did it, and it was was quite the experience. I actually did it in a suit. I was I was, yeah. actually, I, I was all dressed up for some reason, which we used to dress up then and wear heels and suit. Being was, a woman in a coffee, at least at the Mills Coffee Plant, really doesn't mean anything because no, we still get to drag bags off trucks and yep, shove yeah. stuff around. There was absolutely no pass. There was no pass when I was four mm -hmm. and uh, there's no pass. It uh, never gave me a pass. Well, I would say of the three of us, if somebody went to give any of us a pass, we'd be like, why? Why are you passing? <laughs> we can do it. I can do that too. <laughs> yeah, of course. Yeah. Well, I, when people saw me unloading the truck, one of the guys that drove by was my insurance man in his three-piece suit. And he just, he parked his car on the side, he came running and he jumped up and, and, and he helped me unload it. So that should have been yeah, us. Because <laughs> when she said unloading a truck, that means unloading the coffee sacks, which are what? 200, well, 200 pounds. How, how much does each sack weigh? Well, 150 pounds. Yes. Yeah, so. um, and they're floor loaded. There is someone using a pallet at the end, but you have to physically take them. Right. And push them down. You're using gravity, but you're still lugging around. You think about 200 bags yeah. of 200 pounds. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. So it's 37,000 pounds of coffee. But yeah. It's a good workout. Good workout. It's a good workout. <laughs> <laughs> well, 
first thing the, the driver of the truck did, he taught me how to use gravity. He says, make sure everything you do here, you use gravity. And even, even the way you pull the sack, you know, he goes, don't try to pull it up. Pull it down. And then you realize this isn't that hard. It's, it's doable. <laughs> so I have one more really important question to ask both of you today. And that's what's in your cup. Mine is Mills Bund. Mine's <laughs> usually Mills Bund. Mine is the Finca San Luis. The coffee's fabulous. I, I have so many fabulous coffees. I, it's like, you know, there, there's just so many. But right now I have that and I'm loving it. So How about you, Cindy? Waterfire blend. There you go. We're staying true to our, to our coffee taste. Yes. <laughs> I'm a dark rose. But, yeah. I'm a simplicity, so. Yeah. And I'm the, I'm the one that has a lot of brightness. It's a little, honestly, it's a little more sophisticated. And that's really like the old skin. It, but yeah, it's, no, it's good. more reflective of coffee. With it, it was really, really good, I think, in the, in the 60s. It was just so fabulous because the aroma, the aroma, will, it's at least 50% me knows anyway. And, and it, it clearly might even be a little more than that. But it's got these delicate citrus tones that I just love, especially in the morning. No, it's very good that if anyone wants to purchase it. Fortunately, at the moment, the only way you can purchase that particular coffee she's drinking is by donating $50 to the ALS Association of Rhode Island's fundraiser that's being hosted on our website, thequeenbee.com. Donate $50, and we'll send you two bags of Finca San Louis. So I think that kind of wraps up this podcast. I know everyone has to get to work, but Cindy, did you have any other questions? I think that we've covered it, but if I think of something else, we'll just have to talk to Susan again. <laughs> Mom, did you have anything you wanted to say? Pretty much covered it all. As I said, we're just spending our time right now. We're always looking for new coffees. I think the women in coffee, I think that the new decaf and the sort of variation of flavors where we're using different roasts, with, you know. So we'll work a little bit on that and always have fun with coffee. Thank you. Thank you, Mom. Thanks, Cindy. Thanks, everyone, for listening. This concludes Episode 12 of Coffee with the Queen. Links to everything we discussed in today's episode, including information about Mills Coffee, are available on our blog, coffeewiththequeen.com, on our website, thequeenbean.com, and on our podcast site, coffeewiththequeen.podbean.com. To learn more about Mills Coffee Roasting, you can also go directly to their website at millscoffeeroasting.com. If you like this podcast, please let us know by giving us five stars on iTunes. If you have any feedback or topics you'd like to discuss, we'd love to hear about them. Please just email us at infowiththequeenbean.com. Finally, to learn more about our coffees, please visit thequeenbean.com. Thank you. See you next time.